A strong woman looks a challenge dead in the eye and gives it a wink. That is a quote by Gina Carey. Welcome to Trina Talk. This is the podcast where guests share their stories of pursuing their passions, living a fulfilled life, and empowering others. Each week, I talk with inspiring leaders, business owners, and people with amazing stories from around the world in unscripted conversations as they share their successes and failures. This podcast is all about empowering you to keep striving in your personal and professional life. I am your host, Trina L. Martin. Hello, welcome to episode 112. The topic of this week's episode is Overcome Career Obstacles. My guest this week is Bonnie Marcus. Bonnie is a certified coach, speaker, podcast host, and Forbes contributor. In her business, she focuses on helping professional women own their talent and ambition and position themselves for career success. Hi, Bonnie. Welcome to Trina Talk. Oh, thanks for having me, Trina. You know, I so enjoyed when you were on my podcast, so I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Yes. Well, you know, I really enjoyed speaking with you, and thank you again for having me on your show. I enjoyed speaking with you, and I really love what you're doing and your platform and what you're standing for. So this is just going to kind of be a continuation of our conversation from your show, but it's going to be all of your wisdom that you have. Okay. Well, great. So I see that you love helping women. You love empowering women to reach their full potential, whether it's leadership, climbing that executive ladder, whatever that case may be. And you're a speaker, you're author, you're a certified executive coach, you're a Forbes columnist. Just tell the listeners how you became to be this phenomenal woman. (laughs) Through a lot of (laughs) trial and error. (laughs) Oh, wow. Uh, I originally went to graduate school uh, in education. I got a master's degree um, in education, and I was a teacher. I was a kindergarten teacher. And... After a couple of years of doing that and having two children, I got a divorce. So I found myself with young children and an income that really didn't cover my expenses as a single mom. So I answered an ad on the local paper for a medical secretary because I thought, wow, I've got these young kids. I want on a, just a nine to five job where I didn't have to worry about, you know, lesson plans and homework and that kind of thing. Um, and I went for the interview. It was with a large physician group, about 10 docs. And um, they told me that they thought I was too qualified for the job. And they were worried that they were going to train me. And then I would leave after a couple of months because I'd be bored or whatever. And I remember saying to them, please give me a chance. (laughs) I really need a job. But they decided that um, I was too qualified and they passed. But they called me a couple of weeks later and they said that they were doing a joint venture with a management company, a healthcare management company. And there were 30 doctors uh, this management company, um, to, they wanted to open a cardiac rehab center and they were looking for an administrator. And was I interested in interviewing for that? Well, I said to myself, I'm not really qualified <laughs> for this job, but sure, what the heck? Uh, I went in, I had no business experience. Uh, I was barely balancing my checkbook at that point. And I convinced them somehow that I was the right person. And they hired me and they trained me. They trained me how to run that business. And within a year and a half, I was running 11 centers for that management company up in 
down the East Coast. That was my beginning um, into business. And, you know, I often tell people, well, I didn't have an MBA, you know, I had no formal business um, background, but I really learned on the job. And if you are bright and ambitious, and you can do that, and you're open to learning that, you know, it's, you just need to jump in and do your best and, and prove yourself. Um, after that job, you know, I had a series of other um, corporate positions in both sales and management. Um, and I managed to make my way up to the C-suite and run a national company. Um, and I left that position, um, did some consulting, had a couple of more um, corporate you know, gigs after that, but I started my own business in 2007. And Trina, what I wanted to do was to become a coach and to specifically help professional women. Because here's what I noticed in, in my 20-year career in, in corporate, that there are so many talented women who are passed over, marginalized, pushed out all the time uh, because they don't know how to advocate for themselves. They don't know how to create that visibility that they need. They don't really have the political savvy to know how to navigate uh, the workplace. And so that has been my mission since 2007 when I started my own business is to really help empower professional women who are interested in advancing their careers and learning how to position themselves for success. Wow. And that's really what's needed today. And honestly, I wish I knew you when I was coming up <laughs> through the corporate ranks because I didn't know. And like you, I, I learned a lot of things, trial and error looking back, but it would have been nice to have that advocate, you know, that I could go to. So with you, and it's funny, I was listening to your story. You said, okay, you apply for one job, you were too qualified. The other job, you didn't think you were qualified for, but they gave it to you. <laughs> I wasn't, I had no qualification. You know, the only, I, I, I came with two sets of qualifications. One was, well, I guess, you know, that I was willing to learn, et cetera. But I had been teaching aerobics at the time. So stay with me here. <laughs> I somehow convinced them that cardiac fitness was something that I was really committed to. I mean, it wasn't a lie. I was. But I somehow got them from aerobic or teaching aerobics to running a cardiac rehab center. Um, then the other thing that I felt was a qualification of sorts was that doctors did not intimidate me. I grew up in a medical family, um, and the, you know, all my parents' friends were were doctors or dentists. I mean, none of them. They were people, and they didn't intimidate me at all. And in this position. I had to hold these 30 docs accountable. They had to come in and do their paperwork or the, otherwise insurance wouldn't pay. And, and so I think it was those two things that helped me get the job. They took a chance on me, let's face it. So yoga and the cardiac <laughs> that you get from doing that to working for a group of cardiac doctors, I can see where that relates. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I gave it a try. But, uh, you know, one of the lessons I think I learned then was you need to find out what's important to the people, to the prospective employer, uh, and align what you can bring to the table with what they want and need. So mm -hmm. it was more important for them to have uh, somebody running that center who could deal with all those physicians and all those egos and personalities. And believe me, you know, there were 30 different cases of it. Uh, and 
to to be passionate about the um, the the mission of the center as well. And they felt, well, we'll teach you the business. The rest of it is is secondary. Yeah, right. So as you were going through this journey, and you said doctors didn't intimidate you because you were familiar with doctors, mm-hmm. you, your family had doctors and you, you knew them, they were just ordinary people to you. But how, how did you get to the point where they knew that they respected you? They weren't like, oh, this, this young lady here or whatever. And then did you see other women that were maybe working with you in some capacity that they didn't treat with respect or the way that they treated you because they kind of dismissed her because she was a woman? I did in, in, in that one particular center, I, I didn't see the nurses disrespected. They had a long history with these docs. They had worked with them at the hospital. So there was a lot of mutual respect and great relationships. I mean, I was the, the newbie. I was the new person coming in. And I think it has everything to do with the way I communicate, the way I communicated to to them. It it wasn't me approaching them in a very weak position. It's subservient. You know, I had a job to do and they knew it and I was going to hold them accountable. And I, I, I didn't approach them with, you know, Oh please! You know, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, I think the language and and your body language, your whole demeanor, really conveys that type of confidence in your position. Mm. Now, let's get back to your main passion and your your purpose, where you help women navigate and negotiate for themselves. You know, as they're advancing in their careers. What do you tell women? Is that something that you tell them as far as how you speak and your confidence? And how do you help women get that out if that's not what they're are originally or innately capable of doing? Yeah, well, a couple of things. Uh, I think that primarily when I'm coaching women who are ambitious and want to want to advance, um, I tell them from the get-go, look, I can help you to advocate for yourself, to build a very supportive, intentional, purposeful network for, for yourself. I can teach you what to look for in in the environment so you're politically savvy. But the first thing that we need to do is to figure out if there are some limiting beliefs, if there's some stuff going on internally with you that will hold you back from doing the things that you need to do to position yourself well. Because it's one thing, you know, you can learn the skill, but if there's a voice in your head saying, oh, you know, I don't deserve this, or I'm not smart enough, or, you know, I'm not going to ask for that raise because I don't deserve it. If that voice is so loud that you're giving that voice a lot of energy, then you're not going to do those kinds of things. So that's the first hurdle. And it's different with every client I've had, and I've been doing this, you know, for now for 13 years, It everybody has a different um, uh a different story that they tell themselves. And it's that story that, that really needs to be examined. You need to build uh, self-awareness. So that's where I begin with um, many of my clients. And then I really do have like five particular tools that I talk about in my book, The Politics of Promotion, that I feel are really critical for women who are interested in navigating the workplace um, and doing it in a very authentic and and confident way. And, you know, that's in my book, The Politics of Promotion, those tools, I should say. Mm, Do you want to share some with us? Well, the first one is called The Mirror. Uh, And I call it The Mirror because it involves a lot of self-reflection. 
complexion. Most women that I've coached have no idea really, Trina, what their value proposition is. Mm. And the way I define that, it's um, how the work you do, how you do the work, how that helps achieve positive business outcomes. So how does your work contribute to positive business outcomes? It's not your job description. It's the way you approach the work that is unique to you. Very often, we take it for granted that the way we work, our approach to the work, oh, anybody can do that. You know, just to give you an example, I'm not a technical person. You are, right? Mm -hmm. So, Trina, the way you approach um, a, a problem or a challenge for a business would be so much different than I do. Mm-hmm. Because you think differently, right. you 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 look at um, an, a problem and you say, "Hmm, what is a technical solution for this? Or if there is a technical solution, how can I tweak it to make it work better?" That's what a technical person does. That's part of your value proposition, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But for me. I don't see the world that way. I don't look at the world through that kind of technical lens. So I'm looking at probably bigger picture and bigger um, and, and more strategic and analytical in different ways. So it's understanding specifically about how you, how your value proposition contributes that helps you to advocate for yourself because once you understand that, you can position yourself within the organization as somebody who can help that company reach its objectives, help your boss, help your department reach whatever objectives they need to um, or their desire. So that value proposition is a very, very powerful way of learning how to position yourself and advocate for yourself in a very authentic way. It's not like me, me, me. I'm so wonderful all about me. It's okay. I understand your problem and here's what I bring to the table and here's how I might help you achieve, achieve better results. So that's the first chapter. And and, and then in the book, there is an exercise to help you uh, figure out what that value proposition is. Um, Another tool I can mention is the mirror. And the mirror helps you to look at, take a very close look at the environment in which you work. So very often we assume that certain things happen in that environment. We assume to our detriment, that it's a meritocracy. Mm-hmm. All we have to do is keep our head down and work. Well, we know that doesn't work too well, right? <laughs> um, we assume that perhaps there's a, um, a level playing field. I'm just throwing that out there between mm-hmm. genders. But the point of the mirror is, and I highlight in this chapter, a number of things that you need to look for to help you figure out what is that culture within the company and within your department so you know better how to position yourself. What does it take to get ahead where you work? What does it take for a woman to get ahead where you work? And is it different than it might be for a man? What are some of the rules and what are some of the unwritten rules? And the unwritten rules are really important because you're not going to find them on the website or in the employee handbook. Uh, It's just, you know, some of these unwritten rules may be, in fact, sacred. Mm -hmm. Like, well, you you know, you start a new job, you get there at nine o'clock, you think the job's nine to five, and you look around and everybody's been there since 730 the unwritten rule with, with that particular manager is perhaps, well, uh, you need to be there 90 minutes before the boss gets in and you need to be there like an hour after 
or he or she leaves. Are you going to lose your job if you don't do that? No. But are you going to position yourself better if you do do that? Perhaps. So that's just an example of, of kind of an unwritten rule. And again, those are kind of laid out in those chapters. So those are two tools that um, are extremely helpful for men and women, by the way, who are interested in advancing their career. Now, going off of the example that you just gave, now say you're a woman and you get a position and you are doing what you are supposed to be doing, your position yourself, but you're not the woman that, you know, because I experienced this, um, where you can't stay an hour after work still working because maybe you have small children or whatever the case may be. And no, it's not something that you would get fired, you know, from because it's, you know, you've done your time, but then they're looking at, well, you know, Rose over here does that, but well, Rose doesn't have kids and she can do that. How, how do you set yourself up for success when you're dealing with someone who's the exact opposite of you? Well, you, you have to learn what's important to your manager, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, maybe everybody is staying late and you can't, but you have to be able to communicate to that manager what you are accomplishing, at least on a weekly basis. And I talk about in the book, and this is something that I do with all of my clients, is prepare a weekly status report. Mm-hmm. all the projects that you are currently working on and what you've accomplished during that week and whether or not you have a one-on-one with, with your manager that week, send that report. It's documentation of everything that you've accomplished um, over the time period. So in a way, you're creating that visibility and credibility you need, even if you're not sitting in the seat. Your manager knows exactly what you've accomplished during that time period. Mm, Okay, that's good advice. And I have to ask you, what's your thought on, and I I believe you've come across this in your career, what's your thought on the woman in the career field who will basically step on another woman to get where she's going? And instead of trying to work together and help, she's trying to destroy you. How do, you, how do you work with that in a corporate environment? Well, first of all, you need to be aware of people like that. And uh, be wary. Part of understanding what the culture is and the, the politics of the workplace is understanding who is going to support you and who won't support you. And it's important to build a network of allies and champions because you want to make sure that, you know, obviously all your apples aren't in one basket, that there are plenty of people across the, um, across the corporate environment who know who you are, who know your value proposition, who will stand up for you if, if need be. And developing that kind of uh, supportive network is really critical, regardless of if there's a bad apple or not. Yeah, I know, you know, I've experienced that along the way with one particular uh, manager several years ago, but she was young, young by age and young by experience. But it was funny because she was just evil. And, Mm, yeah, you know, she was just out. You know, personally, she was attacking me, but it's funny because when she left the company, everyone was coming to me going, oh, my God, how did you make it under her? You know, she was evil. And sort of like you said, I learned who she was. So I started playing the game to basically appease her. Um, But that was after much heartache and pain of dealing with her going, you know, what is her problem? She's just going to attack everything I did. So finally, I just got to the point. I was like, okay. I see how this is going to work. Mm-hmm. Let me do this and play this game with her to make her always feel like she's on top. And then, yeah. And then it got less confrontational with her, but it's funny because 
as women, we already have to go through so much. And it's just so disappointing when you have another woman who's just making it so much harder for you. Yeah. And, you know, you can have a toxic boss, male or female, and you have to learn how to uh, to maneuver. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's part of being politically savvy. And mm-hmm. the more expansive your network, uh, the better off you are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about um, mentors. So now I know there's mentors and there's sponsors that they're um, saying now in the workforce. When I was coming up through corporate, it, they didn't have any of that. And I didn't have a mentor or a sponsor. Mm-hmm. What do you think about those two terms? Well, actually, there's a chapter also in the book. One of the tools is the Pasco card. You know, remember that from Monopoly? Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, um, a mentor is somebody who can be a great role model and can give you advice. Chances are they have navigated the workplace successfully. They're a little more experienced and they're willing and able to answer some questions you may have, you know, either formally or informally uh, about some of the challenges that you may have in the workplace. A sponsor, however, is someone who is much more powerful, potentially. They're at um, at least two levels above you in the workplace, and they have a, a sight line to your work. They know your work. They will open up doors for you and actually position you for new opportunities within, within the workplace to help you advance at, in a very intentional way. So a sponsor has power and they are able to do that. And so that relationship is really, really um, a, a great one for anyone who has any ambitious uh, ambition at all. So how do you go about finding and discerning which is which? Uh, well, a sponsor would be, has to be somebody who has the power within the organization to create opportunities for you. Okay. Okay. Uh, Now, it doesn't mean that a mentor can't turn into a sponsor at some point. Mm -hmm. But if you're looking for a sponsor, you're going to want to create uh, a potential sponsor or a group of potential sponsors in your network. And find out what's important to them and what initiatives, what projects are important. And try to get on some of those projects. Try to get visibility with them. Because what happens is, it's unless there's a formal sponsorship program in your company, these, are usually, these relationships usually grow over time. I will always get asked when I'm giving a workshop or speaking, somebody will inevitably raise their hand and say, how do I ask somebody to be my sponsor? Well, the answer is you do that over time by building trust and respect. Mm -hmm. It's not like you identify somebody who could be a sponsor. You set up time to meet with them and you ask them point blank right off the bat because they're putting their neck out for you. They Mm -hmm. need to really know and trust. They need to know you your work. They need to trust that whatever opportunity they um, give to you, that you're going to do your best job and you're not going to really disappoint them. Mm -hmm. And I think as a sponsor or someone looking for a sponsor, if you're doing the things that you said, you don't even have to ask. I think it will Mm -hmm. just naturally evolve into that where they'll say, here's this opportunity and I recommend you for it. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Great. So tell me some of the things you have seen as far as the obstacles that women have gone through, because you have worked your way from the bottom to the C-suite. And, you know, this is your whole reason for being, you said, because you have seen the challenges that women have faced. Does anyone 
challenge or obstacle or experience or something that you've seen someone else go through, does that stick out in your mind that really makes you say, I never want to see that happen again? Hmm. Just one, huh? That's <laughs> well, share share the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I was doing research for my book, The Politics of Promotion, I surveyed and I interviewed hundreds of women. How do you feel about office politics? How do you feel about people who are the political animals, you know, who seem to maneuver their way around the workplace well? What I found was overwhelmingly women felt that being that office politics was evil, bad karma. I don't want to get involved. It's manipulative. It's a waste of time. You wouldn't believe the answers I got. And out of all those interviews, there were only a couple of women who said, you know, it can be done right. It doesn't have to be negative and it can be done with integrity. Um, so being politically savvy is really, really important. I see many, many women who have their head down. They work so incredibly hard and they think that that's going to help them get ahead. And it's only one part of the equation. Trina, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because you need to let other people know what you're doing and how that benefits the organization. You can't, and you can't build your career in a vacuum and you can't do it naively thinking that your work alone will do it. So I guess if I had to choose one, I would say our hesitancy to pay attention to what's going on in our work in the workplace and what would be involved in uh, in in positioning ourselves well you know what are the dynamics what are the relationships i need mm-hmm. cuz mm-hmm. that's that's how you get blindsided and it happened to me i you know it happened to me i've been with this company for 8 years i worked my way up to to an AVP position. And when the company reorganized and there was a VP slot open for the very first time, I threw my hat in the ring. I was top performer in my region. And I had 18 direct reports who lobbied for me, but I had no relationship with my brand new boss who was a buddy of the CEO. He came in with the reorganization. And I had no idea the way the decision would be made. And I didn't get that position, even though I was the most qualified. And it was a hard lesson to learn. Mm -hmm. And that lesson was why I wrote the book, The Politics of Promotion, because I was blindsided. Here I was, ambitious and talented, and I had so much to offer, but I wasn't paying attention and building the right relationships. Mm-hmm. Now, because I was like you as well, when I first got into corporate, I was one of those who, okay, I'm working, I'm doing hard work. Don't they know this? They're, you know, I show yeah. up every day, I'm doing my job. Don't they know this? But like you said, you have to advocate for yourself. You have to make it known. But women, somehow, we, we miss that chapter in life. We're not taught that. Whereas it seems like men do it so well, they know that. They know that to go in and chit-chat or tell the boss, you know, hey, I did this. or And we don't do that. Why is it such a disparity between the sexes in, a, <laughs> <laughs> in an environment well, like let, that? Okay, so let, let's get real. There isn't a level <laughs> playing field. And right now, uh, if you look at leadership across most businesses – it's still male leadership, all male, white male, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it puts women at a tremendous disadvantage. It's hard to break into the power circles 
You know, the guys go out for drinks afterwards or they play poker or play golf or, you know, they're comfortable with each other, especially after the Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. It's hard to, you know, network informally uh, and, and to reach out for a woman because there's a lot of discomfort and awkwardness, especially since Me Too. But it's mm-hmm. really hard to break into some of these power circles. Mm-hmm. And yeah, is it easier for a man? Absolutely. You know, they're just, and, and there's um, definitely research that shows that men are more comfortable working with, promoting, advocating, sponsoring other men. Hmm. So what should we do? Because I know. I learned how to golf because of that. You did. Okay. Yeah, I did. I learned how to golf because I learned like 20 years ago. I was like, okay, this is a power play and that's what I need to do. And it, and it has served me well because most men don't expect women to know how to golf. Um, So every year I end up playing in this golf tournament. I'm not as good as I used to, but anyway, um, what, what should we do? Because I'm not a fan of going out to, let's say happy hour with a bunch of guys and things like that. So what can women do besides learning how to play golf where they can kind of get in these circles? And then there's the the caveat to that as well, because there may be a woman who knows how to maneuver and get in, but then the first thing someone is going to say is, Oh, she's sleeping with someone. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, that's, to an old, old story, right? <laughs> uh, first of all, you you can create your own events that mm-hmm. aren't golf. Uh, you can still create these relationships one-on-one during work time. Uh, I will tell my clients to cross out at least one hour a week on your calendar because if you don't put it on your calendar, you are not going to do it. Um, for a networking coffee lunch, and then fill it in with somebody that you're looking to uh, build a relationship with. And, you know, if you're doing it at work in front of everyone, uh, and you're not meeting necessarily meeting for drinks afterward, uh, that certainly, that certainly can help. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it's out out in the open. But if you can't play, if you can't play golf, and you are looking to bring a group of people together, I say, create your own event. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Never thought about that, but that's, that's good advice for, for people still in the corporate environment and wanting to maneuver those political, play those chess moves to get them to where they want to be. So, as a speaker, and when you go into the, some of these big corporations and you're speaking, do, do the heads, which are probably men, do they look at you and, and say like, well, what are you talking about? Or, you know, oh, we don't do this here. Uh, no, because <laughs> if they have made the commitment to bring me in as a speaker and we've agreed on a topic then um, they're not going to be surprised or put off by it. And okay. you know, there's an understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I just wanted to see whether or not, you know, what you're saying, if they're like, oh, wow, uh, do we act like that? Because, you know, some people, even though they may bring you in and it's understood, they may be like, well, we don't do exactly that. Well, that's, you know, that's their, uh, that's their own growth opportunity mm-hmm. to build their awareness and say, hmm, you know, I never looked at it this way. I mean, one way to really expand your horizons is to bring in speakers like me mm-hmm. and to help you see things that ordinarily you you wouldn't see. You know, what does this work environment look like through the eyes of a woman? Mm-hmm. And ambitious woman, you know, how, what are some of the challenges in this particular work environment? 
for men and women, but how is it different for, for women? One of the things that I think is really important is, is that companies do some kind of an assessment of how female-friendly and supportive their work environment is. I see a lot of companies say, you know, kind of check the gender bias box mm-hmm. and they'll bring in somebody or they'll do some kind of a, of a training uh, they'll buy something off the shelf and, and then they'll say, okay, why wow, we've, um, we've checked that box, mm-hmm. but with ask, without asking the women themselves who work there, what their unique challenges are. And it doesn't hmm. necessarily mean that your training program is going to meet those needs unless you really ask the women what kind mm-hmm. of challenges they're facing. Right. Right. That's so, yeah, so critical. And that's the piece that they miss because like you said, they're assuming that, oh, you know, we'll just do a training. And it's funny because the military is notorious for this, right? Mm -hmm. It takes one bad apple for, and and we all laugh, people who have been in the military for years, we know when there's a stand down and they're doing something, we know, okay, some smuck telly did something. So now everybody has to undergo this training and it's not one size fit all because, you know, unfortunately, if you have, you know, a woman who is raped, um, just doing a general, we're doing a no tolerance rape session is really not solving the problem. But, you know, the military does that corporate does that as well. Um, so, you, yeah, you really have to get specific and ask your people what's mm-hmm. going on. Just like I'm always amazed at companies that always say, oh, well, we're, you know, when you quit, we're going to do an exit interview. I have never had an exit interview in none of the corporations that I've I left. never have either, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, never where have. is this exit interview? And then I get the, you know, you were working for a corporation and they go, oh, we're doing the employee climate survey. But yet they make the survey where you can only you know, answer A, B, or C. You, you really can't expound on anything. And I'm going, how is this a climate survey when you, someone made up these choices and I have to fit in this box? So it's, it's always amazing to me. <laughs> There's a lot of imp- room for improvement. <laughs> always amazing to me. So let, we talked a little bit about your fr- first book, The Politics of Promotion. And you have a second book that's soon to be released next year, and it's called Not Done Yet, How mm-hmm. Women Over 50 Regain Their Confidence and, and Claim Their Workplace Power. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, I'm so excited about this book, Trina, uh, and calling attention to the fact that women, specifically women over 50, in the workplace are being sidelined and marginalized and pushed out Mm -hmm. due to ageism and what I call gendered ageism. Uh, Women face ageism a lot earlier than men, research shows, Mm -hmm. uh, because of our society's emphasis on youth and beauty. When Mm -hmm. women start to show signs of aging, they are viewed as being less competent. Mm. Uh, Like, you know, your wrinkles would take away from all your years of experience and wisdom. Right. But the truth of the matter is that uh, especially the women who are still in the workplace now, who still have ambition, who still want to make a difference, they find that they aren't, invited to important meetings anymore. Their workload is is given away to younger workers. And they're left feeling uh, a, a lack of a lack of respect. Many of them hear all kinds of demeaning remarks of, about, oh, you know, you were around with Abe Lincoln, right? I mean, you know, mm-hmm. some of these remarks are just just ridiculous. And we don't have the tools to know how to deal with all this and to, again, 
position ourselves well so that we're not pushed out the door. So this book is really about how women in this demographic can stay marketable and keep their jobs. And mm. it's really important. This is something that uh, is really under the covers at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think there's more and more attention to, to ageism, uh, not so much specifically for women. Wow. So yeah, that, that is very important as a woman who's almost 50. Um, I, it's funny because I've had both experiences, I guess you can say I've looked younger than what I am. So I've had people to dismiss me thinking that I didn't know what I was talking about. I didn't have the experience. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's ageism on both ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And then once they found out how old I was, it was kind of like, oh, okay. And then I still got ignored, you know, because you think about, okay, here's the young kids who are coming straight out of college or whatever, and they were deemed more knowledgeable than someone else. So it's very interesting. And and yeah, you know, I think it happens to women more because I'm just recalling that I don't recall men in either one of those situations experiencing the things that I have. Well, I think, you know, ageism affects men. It just affects them later. Okay. And when you look at uh, the difference between the way our society looks at older men and older women, you can you can tell that that would translate into the workplace. So as a man gets gray, even as he goes bald these days, because bald is in, uh, they are they are viewed like a fine wine that is you know maturing over time. Uh, they still have respect, where where the same thing doesn't happen for a woman as she shows signs of aging. And in this book, you know, I interviewed a lot of women who feel the pressure to modify their looks, uh, uh, enhance their looks, I should say, with Botox and fillers and, you know, eye lift surgery and stuff like that, which is fine. There's no judgment on that. But the fact that we feel the pressure to do that, to, to be able to keep our jobs, is really, really sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what I emphasize in this book is there are it's it's fine if you want to do that. I mean, you know, those are personal choices, but uh, I'm going to give you the tools to to stay marketable, to declare your ambition, to uh, show that you are not ready to be pushed out yet and that you still have a tremendous amount of value to bring to your organization. Wow, that's that's great. I know that's going to be something that's well received. I'm I'm looking forward to that because that's something that I think everyone needs to read because there is, you know, and that's always the thing. You're competing with kids who are 20, 30 and just walking in the door. So you're wondering, okay, am I going to be able to compete? My skills are not as fresh as theirs. So something that's is very it's very valid. Mm-hmm. Very valid. Yeah, but we bring a lot of other stuff to the table, and that's what we need to leverage. Yes. So let's talk about your podcast, The Badass Woman at Any Age. Let's talk about that. It's so fun. I <laughs> I certainly enjoyed having you as a guest, Trina. Uh, but each week, the show highlights the personal stories and journeys of amazing women who are making a difference, who are challenging the status quo, and uh, really showing that you have the power to, when you own your power, what a difference you, you can make. I mean, we look at successful women, and we see what they're doing now, but we don't know what it took for them to reach the standing, the status 
where they are now. Mm-hmm. What's been their personal journey? What was perhaps their childhood like? What were some of their obstacles when they started their careers and how did they overcome them? And those stories, Trina, are so inspiring to me and my listeners. You know, I I listen to some of these stories and engage with with my guests every week, and I am just blown away at the courage uh, of of and the power of some of these women. And I will have to, I do have to say that before some of these women were on the show, they never even thought of themselves as powerful. They never thought of themselves as being a badass. So it, it's enlightening on both ends. Yes. It, you know, it, I loved it. I love being on the show. I love when I saw the title of your show, I was like, Oh yes. But it's what I, I always like to say, people see your glory, but they don't know your story. Exactly. So they, they see you after you've gone through all the, the, the rocks and the, the, falling down and everything else, but they don't know what's behind it. And then the people who do sometimes have the nerve to judge or condemn you. So it's great to see how people evolve and how they rise up, you know, like the Phoenix rising. So I love that. It's so inspiring. It is, you know, because you know, anybody can do it. I mean, my guests on my show aren't big celebrities, you know, they're, they're women who've been very successful in their careers for the most part and have overcome a lot to yes, and be successful. Yes. And it's very refreshing, especially in this day and age where you have social media and everyone puts on the good face all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's so refreshing to know what's real, to know that, OK, someone failed or someone had a hard time, but they overcame because that is, that's inspirational. That's what makes people want to keep going because they look and say, okay, well, if this person went through what they went through and came out on the other side, I can too. Yeah. 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 Great. So we're going to get into our questions. Are you ready? Yes, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Hit me with the questions. All right. Who or what motivates you? It's it's the who is myself. Mm-hmm. I've always been uh, very motivated to be my best, to do my best, and uh, to set the bar. I would say pretty high. I'm an overachiever, so I would say I don't need the external. I drive myself. Okay. What demotivates you? Personally, what demotivates me is, that's a good question. There isn't much. Hmm. I can be demotivated for a few minutes and then I always find a light at the end of the tunnel and a way around. So there isn't much really. <laughs> I don't okay. know. All right. Well, that's good. When was a time that something was said or done to hurt you, but it worked out for your good? Well, I could go back professionally to when <laughs> I lost out on that promotion. And uh I thought, oh, my God, you know, I I don't want to stay with this company. I reached out to my network, and one of my former colleagues told me about the CEO position. And so what I – though the company, my former company, had offered me a lateral, I ended up leaving and interviewing for the CEO position, and so I got a huge promotion. So it was a really bad experience where, um, you know, I I was told that, I wasn't right for that job. And and then I got a better one. Mm. What is your fear? Mm. What is my fear? I would say that there's not enough time to do everything I want to do. Mm. Okay. Is there a time 
when you wish you had done something that you did? That I wish I had done something or hadn't? Mm-hmm. That, you, that you had done something that you didn't. Oh, that I didn't. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can't, I, of course, now I, I can't stop thinking about that one situation <laughs> in my career. Uh, yeah. Although it turned out better, I wish that I had been more savvy. Um, mm. at that time, um, in terms of writing my first book, I would say maybe I wish I had written it a little earlier. Um, but I don't, I don't have any major major things where I look back and say, oh, you should have done something. You should have, you should have done that, or you should have done this. I try not to should on myself. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good. Well, then you probably, this is probably going to be a no to, but is there a time that you wish you had not done something? Well, on a very personal level, I got married too young. Mm Mm-hmm. So um, I didn't realize that I didn't have any idea really who I was. You know, I had been, I lived with my parents and I was in school and, and I, I met my husband and I, you know, we fell in love and um, it just seemed like the right thing to do when I really hadn't lived on my own. And uh, I really didn't know who I was. And that contributed a lot to, um, to the divorce, I think. Mm. What is your definition of success? Mm. It's feeling really good about yourself and where you are in life right now. Mm. How do you recharge? There are a number of ways. Um, I meditate every day. I exercise every day. I love to walk and run and swim. I'm fortunate. I live in California. I can do all that pretty much any day. And um, connecting with my family and friends. Okay. What are you awesome at? Hmm. I'm awesome at dancing. Mm. I started dancing for for a while. I even taught dancing. But uh, since I moved uh, to Santa Barbara, I have met some amazing women and we formed our own dance group and we choreograph and we meet social distancing with masks on, I might add. And we, we dance for an hour each week. And I love it. Mm. What legacy do you want to leave? A legacy that I really empowered. I really helped a lot of women understand their value and uh, really own who they are. Mm. Okay, Bonnie. Give the listeners one motivational takeaway. <laughs> Understand what your personal story is. You know, write down what that personal story is and take a good hard look at the story that you're telling yourself about yourself. And if that story doesn't support you, then it's time to rewrite a new story of of success, one that will support you in whatever your goals are. Mm, that was very, very profound. That was I like that. Tell the listeners how they can connect with you, purchase your book if they want to become a client of yours, um, everything that you have going on. Well, my podcast that you've mentioned that we've talked about is 
is um, on Apple Podcasts. It's called Badass Women at Any Age. And it's uh, a weekly podcast, so you can tune in at any time. My website is bonniemarcusleadership.com. And there's a forward slash coaching page there where you can learn about uh, my coaching services. My book is on Amazon. It's The Politics of Promotion, How High Achieving Women Get Ahead and Stay Ahead. And I, you can also connect with me and follow my, my writing on Forbes. If you Google Bonnie Marcus Forbes, uh, you can see all my articles there. All right. Well, Bonnie, I thank you for being on Trina Talk and sharing your wisdom and just helping the women out there who are trying to navigate the political environment of work and just everything else and just coming on the show and just being a great guest. And I think again, thank you for having me as a guest on your show. Well, it's been a pleasure, Trina. Thanks a lot. If you like Trina talk podcast, please don't forget to go out to iTunes and rate it five stars and leave a review. Also, who else in your life do you know that needs some motivation and inspiration in their life? Don't forget to share Trina talk with them. I hope you have a great week. And remember, if you change your mindset, you can change your life. Keep striving because success is a journey, not a destination.